0: Envision this. You're seeing a 67-year-old woman with congestive heart failure, now well-controlled with furosemide and other appropriate medications for CHF. On her most recent blood work, her potassium level was low. When you tell her she needs to take a potassium supplement, she says, Just so I understand, I need to take this pill to counteract the side effects of another pill. Is that right? I know you told me the diuretic was to help me excrete more sodium and water. What does potassium have to do with this, and why do I need it? What is the reason for your patient's hypokalemia, and how will you explain this to her? Welcome to Audio Bricks. This is Ed Barnes breaking down the physiology of the renal tubular system in your ears. After completing this brick, you will be able to... 1. Discuss the structure and function of the nephron and describe the renal tubular system. 2. Describe the function of the proximal tubule. 3. Describe the main transporters in the loop of Henle and their functions. 4. Describe the main transporters in the distal convoluted tubule and their functions. And 5. Describe the main transporters in the collecting duct and their functions. Part 1. What is the structure and function of the nephron? The nephron is the functional unit of the kidney. The kidney is in charge of excreting many of the body's toxins, waste products, and excess electrolytes, all while maintaining the appropriate level of water and ions in the body. The key to this regulation is filtration of the blood and formation of the urine, which will excrete everything unneeded by the body. The kidney filters large amounts of fluid each hour but reclaims or reabsorbs most of the water in valuable ions like sodium and potassium. To form urine, the body filters the blood at the glomerulus, then reabsorbs needed molecules and water from the tubular system, and finally it secretes excess molecules like acid from the blood into the urine. The combination of the three processes leads to the final urine. Let's go a little bit deeper into the segments of the nephron. All of these processes are jointly performed by roughly one million nephrons working together to form the final urine. Not all nephrons are active at the same time. There is some reserve capacity. The nephron has two main segments, the renal corpuscle, which houses the glomerulus and Bowman's capsule, and the tubular system, which is divided into a number of segments. Bowman's capsule collects the ultrafiltrate coming through the glomerulus and empties into the tubular system. The renal tubular system, which is the focus of our discussion, has four main components. The proximal tubule, loop of Henle, distal convoluted tubule, and the collecting duct. The general functions of reabsorption and secretion are described in another brick. Here, we will discuss the various segments of the tubular system and summarize how each contributes to the overall renal function. The key roles of the tubular system will be to act on the tubular fluid that is filtered through the glomerulus, also known as the ultrafiltrate. The tubular system does this in two ways. One, by reabsorbing small molecules in the renal tubule back into the circulation, and two by secreting small molecules from the blood into the lumen of the tubule. But how do reabsorption and secretion occur in the tubular system? Well, these processes occur through a complex aggregation of ion channels and transporter channels that use a variety of mechanisms to move substances in or out of the tubule. These specific mechanisms are discussed in a different brick on transport. We will now work our way down the tubular system, seeing what each part does. But first, let's stop for a quick quiz. What are the segments of the nephron in order, starting from the glomerulus? The segments of the nephron are the glomerulus, Bowman's capsule, proximal tubule, loop of Henle, distal convoluted tubule, and collecting duct. Part 2. What is the function of the proximal tubule? The proximal tubule is responsible for reabsorbing the bulk of most filtered solutes in water. Reabsorbed substances include water, sodium, potassium, chloride, glucose, calcium, amino acids, bicarbonate, phosphate, urate, and urea. Secreted substances include hydrogen ions, ammonium, and urate, along with some drugs and vitamins like folate. Note that the proximal tubule includes the proximal convoluted tubule in the renal cortex and the proximal straight tubule, mostly in the renal medulla. But we are going to use the term proximal tubule for our discussion. Let's talk about reabsorption. The proximal tubule reabsorbs 60-70% to 70% of filtered sodium, chloride, and water from the tubular fluid. Active reabsorption of sodium across the proximal tubule cell into the interstitium increases the osmolality there, and this induces water to follow passively by osmosis. So here, water follows sodium. The water can travel both transcellularly, meaning through pores called aquaporins, as well as paracellularly, meaning between the cells. Because both sodium and water are reabsorbed proportionally, the concentration of sodium and the tubular fluid osmolality does not change along the length of proximal tubule. But the quantity of each of these remaining in the tubular fluid at the end of the proximal tubule is greatly reduced. The proximal tubule also reabsorbs virtually all filtered organic solutes, including glucose and amino acids. Other substances reabsorbed at the proximal tubule include calcium, phosphate, potassium, and bicarbonate, although some of these substances will pass along to more distal segments of the nephron to be reabsorbed there. Most of the water and a significant amount of the sodium, chloride, potassium, calcium, and other ions are reabsorbed via paracellular transport between the proximal tubule cells, going through the gap junctions that connect the cells. Most of the potassium is reabsorbed in the proximal tubule via paracellular transport, as is 50% of the filtered urea. However, the proximal tubule is not critical in serum potassium regulation, which is instead a function of the distal nephron. In some cases, renal reabsorption mechanisms may become overwhelmed. For example, in uncontrolled diabetes, Blood glucose levels are so high that more glucose is filtered into the tubular fluid than can be reabsorbed by the proximal tubule. This excess glucose is excreted into the urine, also known as glucosuria, and will be detected on urinalysis. Moving on to secretion. The proximal tubule secretes protons as part of bicarbonate reabsorption, a key step in acid-base regulation. Also important in acid-base regulation is proximal tubule ammoniogenesis and the secretion of ammonium ions into the tubular fluid under settings of low intracellular pH. In addition, certain organic substances, including antibiotics such as penicillin, are actively secreted by organic anions transporters, also known as OAT. This family of transporters excretes both endogenous folate and urate, and exogenous hydrochlorothiazide or penicillin molecules. Organic cation transporters or OCTs are responsible for the secretion of cationic substances. Now, I'm going to highlight a few of the key proximal tubular proteins. Starting with the apical membrane, Several symporters on the apical or luminal membrane cause various molecules, glucose, amino acids, phosphate, to cross the apical, which is the tubular side membrane via the secondary active transport. These symporters are energized by sodium moving down its concentration gradient from the high sodium tubule to the low sodium intracellular space. An important apical antiporter is the sodium, hydrogen antiporter this uses secondary active transport to secrete hydrogen ions into the tubule this is an important part of the acid-base regulation the enzyme carbonic anhydrase captures the secreted hydrogen ion and has it react to the bicarbonate molecule to create water and carbon dioxide water and carbon dioxide are then reabsorbed back into the cell the net effect of this is the reabsorption of filtered bicarbonate back into the blood. Next, the basal lateral membrane. On the basolateral membrane of the proximal tubules, the sodium-potassium ATPases actively pump sodium into the interstitial space by primary active transport, with potassium moving from the interstitial fluid into the tubular cell in exchange. This process maintains the concentration gradient needed to reabsorb sodium from the tubular fluid into the proximal tubule cells. There are also basolateral membrane proteins that allow the chloride, amino acids, glucose, and phosphate that were reabsorbed into the cell to move across the basolateral membrane and into the interstitium and capillaries. Here's another quiz. What percentage of sodium, chloride, and water is reabsorbed by the proximal tubule in normal circumstances? Approximately 60 to 70 percent of sodium, chloride, and water is reabsorbed. Part 3 What is the loop of Henle? The loop of Henle is the next major tubular segment. It helps reabsorb the water, sodium, and chloride that make it beyond the proximal tubule and is key to regulating total body water and serum osmolality. The loop of Henle allows the kidney to concentrate the urine by creating a concentration gradient from the cortex to the inner medulla. Thus, as water flows down the collecting duct, it can be reabsorbed as it flows past a more and more concentrated interstitium. You can read more about this in the brick. On water homeostasis the loop of Henle consists of several portions a thin descending limb a thin ascending limb and a thick ascending limb the thin descending limb has low permeability to sodium but it has a high permeability to water here water reabsorption occurs both transcellularly through aquaporins and paracellularly through tight junctions which are leaky to water but not ions Conversely, the loop's ascending limb, thin and thick, has water-impermeable tight junctions, which make it impermeable to water. However, there are many transport proteins here, making this segment highly permeable to sodium. You will see how the body takes advantage of this in another brick when you read about how the loop of Henle generates high osmolality in the interstitium by means of a counter-current multiplier system. This process is crucial for water reabsorption. The thick ascending limb is notable for the presence of the apical sodium-potassium-2-chloride chloride cotransporter, which reabsorbs sodium-potassium and chloride ions. The sodium-potassium-2-chloride transporter is blocked by furosemide and other loop diuretics. Thus, loop diuretics cause high urinary excretion of the excess body's sodium and water. This effect is needed to treat volume overload seen in heart failure and kidney disease. Chloride reabsorption creates a positive luminal charge that also drives the reabsorption of calcium and magnesium. The thick ascending limb reabsorbs calcium, about 25%, and most of the filtered magnesium, about 70%. Both are reabsorbed via paracellular transport. Interestingly, This segment also houses a calcium sensor that regulates calcium absorption by detecting the calcium concentration in the tubular fluid. Although the loop does not engage in any net secretion, except for urea secretion in states of low volume status, it does contain an apical potassium ion channel. Recall how the sodium potassium 2 chloride transporter reabsorbs potassium? The apical potassium channel counteracts this, causing a reverse flux of potassium from the tubular cells back into the lumen. The potassium channel contributes to a charge and concentration gradient that recycles potassium to increase the reabsorption of other cations like calcium and magnesium. This also means that in the loop of Henle, there is no significant net gain or loss of potassium into the tubular fluid under normal circumstances. Before moving on, let's stop for a quick quiz. What is the major difference between the descending and ascending limbs of the loop of Henle? The descending limb is permeable to water, but not to sodium, whereas the ascending limb is permeable to sodium, but not to water. Part 4. What is the distal convoluted tubule? The distal convoluted tubule is responsible for reabsorbing the lesser amounts of ions, including sodium, chloride, calcium, and magnesium, that make it past the earlier segments of the renal tubular system. This tubule is especially important for calcium reabsorption, regulated by the parathyroid hormone. Cells in the distal convoluted tubule express several important transporters, including an apical sodium chloride cotransporter and several calcium transport proteins and channels. The basolateral membrane has high concentrations of calcium ATPase pumps and sodium-calcium antiporters, so calcium can be reabsorbed into the blood, stimulated by parathyroid hormone. Thiazide diuretics increase salt and water excretion into the urine by blocking the sodium chloride cotransporter in the distal convoluted tubule. These diuretics are commonly used to treat hypertension. Let's stop for a quiz. Which cations are reabsorbed in the distal convoluted tubule? sodium, calcium, and magnesium. Part 5. What is the collecting duct? The collecting ducts are long structures that span the renal cortex, cortical collecting duct, and the renal medulla, medullary collecting duct. They are integral to water, potassium, and acid-base regulation and are the final step in the sodium and volume regulation as well. There are three functional cell types in the collecting ducts, principal cells and alpha and beta intercalated cells. We will focus on the principal cells and alpha intercalated cells as they are the most important in clinical applications. These cells are intermixed and exist side by side in the collecting ducts. The collecting ducts reabsorb water, sodium, chloride, and bicarbonate. How does the collecting duct manage water? The collecting duct's principal cells have large numbers of aquaporins, which are responsible for reabsorbing water and creating final concentrated urine. Antidiuretic hormone, or ADH, increases the number of aquaporins present in the cell membrane and therefore increases collecting duct's water reabsorption. Next, how does the collecting duct manage sodium? In the principal cells, the epithelial sodium channel, also known as Enax, permits sodium to enter via secondary active transport, stimulated by the hormone aldosterone, as well as by high tubular flow rates. Now, how does the collecting duct manage bicarbonate? The alpha intercalated cells facilitate a net reabsorption of bicarbonate, which is antiported against chloride across the basal lateral membrane. The cortical collecting ducts are key in potassium and proton secretion also. Next, let's discuss how the collecting duct manages potassium. This secretion occurs through potassium channels in the principal cells and is stimulated by aldosterone as well as by high tubular flow rates. Patients with low serum aldosterone due to adrenal disease will have high serum potassium concentrations or hyperkalemia because potassium secretion is impaired in the collecting duct. Finally, how does a collecting duct manage hydrogen ions? The alpha intercalated cells of the collecting ducts secrete hydrogen ions, regulating the final urine pH and helping control overall acid-base status. This is partially under the regulation of aldosterone. Let's see if you got that. Why is a low level of serum aldosterone dangerous? Without the proper level of aldosterone, potassium secretion is impaired, and the result is high serum potassium concentration, also known as hyperkalemia. Part 6 Putting it all together. That's a lot of detail. Let's revisit some of the big principles. First, remember. That the whole organization of nephrons is designed to efficiently get rid of toxins and waste products. We must filter large amounts of plasma to excrete sufficient quantity of waste. Therefore, we must reabsorb a large majority of the vital solutes in water. Rather than designing a specific secretory transporter for each toxin, a bad idea since toxins change depending on our environment, we instead Filter almost everything into the tubule, then reabsorb what we need back, like water, sodium, bicarbonate, and calcium. That leaves a myriad of toxins to exit the body in the urine. Next, remember that many of these transport proteins are not just running all the time. They are regulated by hormones, like aldosterone and ADH, and by the nervous system and many other internal controls, so they reabsorb and secrete just the right amount. To wrap up, let's put this maze of transporters together and look at the entire nephron. If you're able to, take a close look. Red arrows show reabsorption, while green arrows show secretion. Although each of the four tubular segments has unique characteristics, all four segments share some things in common. First, they all reabsorb sodium. This commonality emphasizes the critical role of sodium in maintaining the extracellular and blood volume. There's a lot of redundancy in the kidney's effort to reclaim it from the ultrafiltrate. Second, they all have sodium-potassium ATPases on the basal lateral side, actively pumping out sodium to the interstitial space and into the blood while bringing in potassium into the cell. What they do then with the potassium depends on the cell type. Third, While sodium is only reabsorbed, potassium is reabsorbed and secreted in multiple segments and finally regulated in the collecting ducts. This reflects the need to fine tune the serum potassium level to a narrow window of safety. And that brings us to the end of our discussion on the physiology of the renal tubular system. Now, let's recap to see if we completed our goals. First, can you name the four main sections of the nephron? The proximal tubule, the loop of Henle, the distal convoluted tubule, and the collecting ducts are the four main sections of the nephron. Next, are you able to describe the two ways the renal tubule acts on the tubular fluid that is filtered through the glomerulus? 1. Reabsorbing small molecules in the renal tubule back into the circulation, and 2. Secreting small molecules from the blood into the lumen of the tubule. Next, can you describe the primary function of the proximal tubule? The proximal tubule is responsible for reabsorbing the bulk of most filtered solutes and water. The reabsorbed substances include water, sodium, potassium chloride, glucose, calcium, amino acids bicarbonate, phosphate, urate, and urea. Next, are you able to name the notable cold transporter located in the apical membrane of the thick ascending limb of the loop of Henle and its role clinically? The sodium potassium two chloride co transporter is the site of action of diuretics known as loop diuretics. This class of drugs that block this cotransporter leads to the excretion of sodium and water into the urine. Next, are you able to describe the parathyroid hormone's effect on the basal lateral membrane of the distal convoluted tubule? The basolateral membrane of the distal convoluted tubule has high concentrations of calcium ATPH pumps and sodium-calcium antiporters, so calcium can be reabsorbed into the blood, stimulated by parathyroid hormone. Finally, can you describe how the collecting duct manages water? The collecting ducts' principal cells have large numbers of aquaporins, which are responsible for reabsorbing water and creating the final concentrated urine. Antidiuretic hormone or ADH increases the number of aquaporins present in the cell membrane and therefore increasing the collecting duct's water reabsorption. And that's it. Armed with your newfound knowledge of the physiology, of the renal tubular system, let's get back to the patient from the beginning of this episode. You're seeing a 67-year-old woman with CHF taking furosemide and she has hypokalemia. How do you explain the source of this patient's hypokalemia to her? You explain that, yes, the furosemide she is taking is a diuretic that helps patients with CHF excrete excess sodium and water into their urine. This is a good thing. You then explain that furosemide causes potassium to be excreted in the urine also, but that is not a good thing because your body needs the potassium. In essence, your body can't do what it needs to without both pills. You can't have one without the other. Your patient replies, Okay, I know that furosemide is important, and now I understand what's happening. I suppose one extra pill is not so bad. And that's it for our show. Make sure to like and subscribe if you like what you hear. And remember, your feedback helps us to improve. You can enjoy the full brick experience online at www.usmoe-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. So go check that out if you haven't already. Until next time.